Hi, I'm Nick Horrocks from X.0 Advisory, and welcome to My Digital Journey, a series of podcasts about how technology continues to influence, challenge, and disrupt business. We'll hear from entrepreneurs creating online platforms, right through to adventurers using social media to develop their own personal brand. We'll also hear from people in more traditional industries about how digital is disrupting their prevailing business models and how they are looking to address these challenges. These podcasts aim to highlight the issues faced by businesses and entrepreneurs in the modern digital environment. What made them successful? What mistakes they made? How they look to the future? And how they financed those ambitions? Coming up in this episode. Hello, my name is Lawrence Newman. I'm CEO of CurrentBody.com and this is my digital journey. This is not an overnight success story. This is 10 years of hard graft. And without resilience, you're never going to make it work. One piece of advice is you just got to stick with it, work hard and surround yourself with the right people. Well, Lawrence, thank you very much for being part of this series. It'd be really good if you could just introduce yourself, what you do and a little bit about your background, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm the CEO of CurrentBody.com. My background's actually in 20 years of professional beauty and medical devices Um, and I set this business up 10 years ago having worked with devices that are sold into salons spas clinics around the world um, had an idea that eventually products would become smaller more effective and and have the ability to be used at home safely Um, and came in contact fortunately with some products of that nature some time ago and decided that be worth setting up a platform to sell them. So in terms of your background, then you've always been in sales or medical sales one way or another. So you wouldn't say that you are a techie in any way or a medical person in any way? I'm definitely not a medical person. And I can safely say 10 years ago, I wasn't a techie, although I've had to learn a little bit on the job. But I was introduced to my business partner now, Andrew Showman, who is a techie. Um, very different to me, but in some ways seen as a complementary pair because I tend to deal with more of the commercial side and he was the one who really set up the e-commerce platform that we, that we have today and that we've continued to evolve. Uh, and his background was actually in selling digital cameras. And uh, the interesting thing was 10 years ago, um, they, they hit a little bit of a dip based on the fact that phones came out um, with, with, with integrated cameras on them. And he was introduced to me and I said, look, I think there's going to be a time when these products are sold. And when, when that does happen, um, the most likely thing is that it's going to be online um, because that's the only uh, platform to give the information, education that's needed uh, for people to understand what these products are all about. You feel that online you can deliver a far better service and deliver a far better customer journey than perhaps you could do offline. I think it's true in some ways, but I'm a great believer that, and certainly with these these types of devices and these types of products um, that there is an omni-channel approach that's most beneficial to the consumer. Having said that, if I take you back 10 years ago, most suppliers, manufacturers and marketeers felt that these products should always be in bricks and mortar because that's all they knew. Having said that, now, as, as everybody knows, most products like these are sold online, but it is important for a consumer to still go and touch and feel them as well. So yes, it's important to have an online presence, but we also feel that having an offline presence is, is, is significant as well. So products that are seen, you know, maybe it's on home shopping channels, Harrods, Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, 
boots and some high-end bricks and mortar alongside online is, 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 is really significant to our category. And in terms of persuading the suppliers then to give you product and, and justify them selling them through your website versus others, how did you go about that? Because you can quite often see, you can just see absolute price destruction going on across the web. Absolutely, and probably the biggest challenge to our business was persuading them that an online channel was the way forward. I think they quickly realised some years ago that in order to sell these products, you had to talk to people, you had to explain the products, you had to give them advice because everybody has different concerns, whether it be their skin type, might be their hair type. And that's not possible to do by manning concessions, if you like, in store. The amount of money that costs, the turnover of staff, and, and the only real way to do that, I felt, was to talk to people by giving them unique content online. And clearly that's become um, the way in which people look to buy these products. But 10 years ago, uh, you're absolutely right, Nick, you know, there was significant pushback. And um, there were times where people said, no, look, unless you have um, bricks and mortar, then, then we're not going to supply you. So it was, a, you know, a large part of my business was turning them around um, and now, in our category, I would say 60% of all products are bought online. And it's probably just worth elaborating uh, in terms of what your product sphere is, because there's clearly stuff within there that's in what you might call quite high-end, quite specialised. There's also stuff that you, you've decided you don't touch. You know, so you don't, for example, to my knowledge, do sort of shaving Yep. stuff for example you don't do an awful lot about teeth although i notice you have got some sort of toothbrush but you do you know wrinkles and yep you know facial cleansing yeah and things absolutely like that. So, so it's just worth understanding yeah what what was the decision around what what you were going to sell online and- yeah absolutely and people often say you know what's a beauty device and um uh, when we first started current body out it was very much any other beauty site if you like and it took us a while to realize we were a niche within a niche and and Beauty devices we categorize as facial cleansing, hair removal, anti-aging, and really skincare. And within those, that probably represents 80 to 90% of the whole market. So you're absolutely right. The type of grooming products, for example, that you're referring to, and maybe, you know, the GHDs of this world is not in our category. And, you know, to give you an, an idea of the size of the market for that, the, those categories within beauty devices is something around two and a half billion worldwide. And that's without those, those areas of grooming, which is obviously far more significant. So it's very much a niche area of, of, of beauty and it's a, a niche area of beauty technology. So how do you, and obviously, as you say, it is a niche area. So how do you look to drive traffic to current body and differentiate yourselves online? I alluded to it before, it's, there's the onla- traditional online approach, so obviously Google um, you know, being, being one of the most significant ways of driving traffic, but actually one of the biggest ways that we've driven traffic to current body, and certainly from a standing start, was actually to get recognition that we're experts in, in this field. In order to do that, I would say one of the biggest and most important parts of our journey has been in developing our PR strategy and our offline strategy so people know that we are 
the go-to destination for, for online computer devices. And I think that's, that's really interesting because we're talking about a digital journey here, but actually what you're saying is the key part of establishing that was being an offline story as well. So well, it'd be, you know, just worth well, if you could elaborate a bit yeah, on that, absolutely. that'd be fantastic. Well, in, in its simplest form, um, if people aren't searching for a product, there's no point in having an online presence. So we were actually developing the market um, so in order to do that, needed to to get people to be searching for these products. And I think one of the great things about being UK-based is that the media is exceptionally powerful and also reasonably small. And as much as people uh, like to hate the Daily Mail, for example, um, a significant piece in the, the health section there, and you get a huge amount of people uh, visiting the website. So we've been really fortunate that we partnered with some good PR agencies over the last 10 years. Um, and I think now when people talk about home use beauty devices, current body synonymous with this category. And that's been, uh, you know, a, a huge thing for us. So that's really interesting then, because what you're saying, finding a good PR agency has actually been a key part of what has made your strategy successful. For people who are sort of listening to this and thinking, well, what criteria do I need for a good PR agency? There's lots of people out there that will tell me that I'll do, they'll do digital marketing, that they'll do PR, that they know all these people. When it came to choosing your PR agencies and the people you work with, yeah, what, what were the sort of criteria that you looked for? Was it as much referral? Was it... That's a really good question. And over the last 20 years, I've worked with some really good agencies and some not so good agencies. Mm. Um, and I've spent a lot of money on them and I've spent you know, fairly modest sums. And I think it always comes down to the people at the agency that you're working with. Essentially, what, what I've often looked for is an agency that doesn't have any competing products or customers um, I think that's really important I don't think it's important to always have one that's category specific but it's important to have one where the people you're working with feel like they're part of your business um, and are on, are on the journey with you to try and create the story that, that you want and we've been really fortunate and I think um, they have been more boutique agencies but as we've grown we found the um, you know the need to be more London-based because we're looking for a wider audience. What I will say with PR in our world is it's moved very much from a traditional side into bloggers, influencers, KOLs, um, and that's a big change that we're seeing now. And of course, with that comes extra funds required in order to drive it. And we're sitting here in, in South Manchester, perhaps Cheshire even, depending on where you want to draw the boundary. But you, know, you are now, uh, what, 45 people here? Roughly, yeah, um, and you are operating pretty much globally. How would you? How, what would you describe your your geographic reach as? Yeah, so um, you know, just to add a little bit to where the last couple of years have gone, apart from persuading suppliers that uh, online was their preferred route, uh, it was also about showing what we could do in the UK and and to prove uh, our credentials here of what we said we were going to do. And eighty five percent of all our business up until a couple of years ago was UK sales. As you well know, we we've taken some money on board from from MVM, um, and that was to drive uh, the international expansion of Current Body. In order to do that, we've taken on an international marketing team with someone from France, Germany, Spain, Italy. And we have two managers also looking after Australia and US sites as well. So it's really been about consolidating what we're doing in the UK and continuing to drive traffic there, 
but then start building the same models in each of those countries. And opening up sites in Italy and Germany and those regions you've yep. talked about. Is that, is that mean you have to have distribution in those countries? Do you have warehousing there? Do you, or you know, how many people do you have to have covering those, those regions? Is it one person? Is it 10 people? No, we don't need too many people in, in those countries, but it's certainly just a case of as we build it, we're adding to what we're doing in terms of those, those territories. I think the important thing as you just pointed out, is the logistics. So we have a warehouse in Germany now. Um, and then most importantly, in terms of the whole ethos of our company is the customer service. And actually, that's one of the real challenges, maintaining the levels of, of uh, customer service in this category. And as I probably alluded to earlier on, a lot of people don't understand these products. They don't even know what they're looking at and they don't know why something might not work for them, why it is working for them. They want to talk about it. And as we grow, maintaining that level of customer interaction in, in absolutely at the top of our game is, is quite challenging. And I, I, th- I think that's, that's a really interesting point that you, you mentioned is, is about customer service on the web. Because there's a perception that you don't get the same level of personalized customer service on the web. And it's, uh, yeah, I think we can all identify yeah. with that. We've all had bad experiences. How do you, as the kind of leading brand in your niche, how do you maintain that customer service? What is the, what is the secret yeah, to that? So, so one of the most important things is that all our customer service team are really engaged in what we're doing. And the second thing is that they are actually trained up by the suppliers. So they have got the knowledge required to talk to the customer mm. and, and, and understand it. And they're passionate about what they do. And I think you and I both know the question I got asked most during the funding process is why are you different from Amazon? And, mm. and that might, it might be why you're different from QVC. And the answer is most often if somebody buys a product in our space and it doesn't work, they send it back. Yeah. Um, what we will do is talk to them. We'll understand why they're having a problem with it. We'll try and turn them around. Um, sometimes it's not possible, mm-hmm. but our returns rate is very small. And if you look at what a returns rate is on, on say QVC, it's around 40% in this space. So it is very much about keeping that customer in the category. They're really important to us because if they buy something and have you know, uh, a bad experience with it, we're never going to see them again. And also you won't see them from this fairly embryonic part of the beauty market, which, you know, is something that, you know, we're keen to grow. I think there's a perception that actually it's a pretty tough e-commerce and a pretty sophisticated e-commerce market, the UK. Does that, is that your experience? Because my suspicion is that actually, if you can do well in the UK and survive and make a good business in the UK, you can probably take that model overseas. Would that, would that be fair to say? Or, I mean, uh, what sort of competition I'm, are you seeing I'm, overseas? I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's entirely right. And yes, there's significant competition here. But I think as you move into some of the other uh, European countries like France, Germany, Spain, you realise that they all do buy in those countries in different ways. And yeah. they, you know, they, they require different things in order to drive traffic and to convert that traffic. Um, and the way people buy there and the, you know, the payment requirements, et cetera, are often very different. So it's a little bit about understanding and not ju- you know, just diving into a new territory is, pro- is probably a mistake. And yeah. I think, you know, certainly my chairman will tell you if you decide to set up in the US, for example, it's, it's the graveyard of most English companies. But I do agree that it's about making sure that our home territory is well taken care of uh, and well developed and we're seen as market leading here. And I think one of the things we've done well is to make sure that's the case before then moving forward. Yeah, okay. Well, but I think what it sounds like you're saying is actually every market has its little nuances. It does, yeah. And if you are 
you know, an entrepreneur with an e-commerce business, wherever it is, actually just going saying we're going to do Germany, there are going to be pitfalls that you're going to come across that you're just not not aware of until you actually try it. And what's what, what would be your advice to somebody who's saying, right, I want to go into a different territory? I mean, how would you go uh, about that? Well, I think there's two things here. First of all, there's differences in the way people purchase and the journeys yeah. that they have in those different territories. So you need to understand that. So, for example, you know, people using Klarna in Germany as a payment system, that type of thing. But if you just take a step back, I think you'll look about what, what you're creating. Now, if we just dive into France, Germany or Spain, you know, with a, an online marketing strategy, you've got to ask yourself what, what, what added value are you giving um, to the manufacturer or your suppliers out there? And so the most important thing for us, and I'm sure this is the case for many other specialists in any other category, is that you're providing your partners with a service that they're, they're not getting anywhere else. So now when people look at currentbody.de or .fr, the unique content for these types of products is far better than anything else in those territories. So my advice would be to make sure that you're, that you're offering something, first of all, in those territories that's, that's not there. And that's been a challenge for us because if a supplier sees that you're just simply in the territory but at a slightly better price, for example, they'll ask the question, you know, exactly what are you providing us with? We're very set that we are wanting to be the online destination for home use beauty devices in the world and in order to do that we have to make sure that our content reflects that in every single one of the territories just moving on then and changing the subject i guess entirely yeah you have recruited quite extensively <laughs> recently yeah you're now 45 people or so yeah how have you gone about that process where, where have been the challenges what are the skill sets that you've been looking for what have you found that's been hard to get hold of i think the, re- the recruitment journey for me over the last 10 years has taught me more than anything else in this business really um you know when you first set up a new business and you know you're often having to fund it yourself uh, and andrew and i you know very much did that in the early days it's very difficult to find and be able to afford for the skills that you actually really need to drive it but at the same time you've got to run the business um as we've had money come into the business uh, clearly you know, we're now on a, on a stable footing and a much more attractive proposition for people looking. Having said that, Manchester as a tech scene, as you well know, is absolutely fantastic. And there are so many people in the online space mm. that has meant that it's a difficult process for us. Our move on to Shopify Plus has probably been significant in that we haven't had to go down the route of Magento developers because I think that would have been, I think you and I talked about this some time ago and that yeah. would have been very challenging. But in terms of attracting digital marketing people and and making sure that current body was a choice for them i think the fact that we're we're still in startup mode it's quite an exciting industry to be involved in there's there's a you know we've got a very strong board um and we've got a significant business plan that made a lot of sense to people uh, has, has attracted them to this but it's not without its challenges and there is significant competition in the northwest Digital marketing, it has been difficult at times, but as we've grown and as people have seen more about Current Body, I think it's become a place that people want to work. One of the nicest things for me to see is that people within the business, and they've come from some significant other companies, have then recruited from their previous job. And, uh, you know, look, you want to come to Current Body with me, it's, you know, it's fantastic, we're on this great journey. And, uh, and we've see, seen that start to happen. So that's, that's, that, brilliant. That, that's, yeah, that's been that's really, really good. That's really positive. Yeah. You've talked about 
your investors and you've taken on investors. What, what, what has been your investment journey? Obviously, you started off funding the business yourselves, yep. but you know that inevitably comes to an end yep. at some stage, both from your own resources and, and your own risk profile. So when, when you first started looking for outside investment or third-party investment, whoever it was, or whatever it was, or wherever it came from, where did you start? I suppose like with all startups, we bootstrapped this business. Um, it was very, very challenging. And, you know, Andrew and I had had some tough years. And, it's, you know, I think that's the same for most people starting out a business uh, journey like this. Actually, where I started was speaking to people uh, who I know and friends who've been and raised money in, in, in similar ways to how we ended up doing it and taking some advice. I'm, you know, I think the best thing you can ever do is, is, is to listen to people uh, and understand the journeys they've been on and take the good bits and the bad bits uh, and move forward. And actually, you know, probably one of my key mentors at the time was a chap called Rob Noble, who'd been on a, uh, a journey with a company called Great Fridays. And they'd used GP Bullhound to raise money. And, and he told me an interesting, uh, some interesting facts about how they did it and the good things, the bad things. And I decided, you know, that they were the right partner for us at the time to look at the market for us. If, if we take the story yeah. four or five years back, I think one of the mistakes I'd made in my previous business was surrounding myself with some people who could actually help me grow it um, and realizing that you can't do it on your own and that you do need to take some um, both, you know, people alongside you but also you know needing some money there as well um actually it wasn't a significant amount that we raised but our chairman uh, mike mcgrath who uh, actually met on a school ski trip as it goes um he was probably one of the most significant steps that we took to grow in the business and adding some real governance uh, and disciplines to a small startup uh, and he after working with us for a few months was offered to take um, a small share in the business. And I suppose that, yes, that was our st- first step to an outside investor. And I think, I think that's, that's a very interesting story because many, many startups start and, and they become a bit shambolic and they don't have the governance. Yep. What did Mike bring to you as a chairman that was so important that yep. really kind of, I mean, effectively made you more investment ready? Absolutely. So, so I think one of the things Mike did, and we still have it on a whiteboard downstairs somewhere, which I occasionally drag out to show to the uh, senior managers here, is that he looked at where where this business needed to be in three to five years' time. And then instead of sort of working from now till then, looked at what we would need at that point and work backwards. And I thought it was, it was really good advice. But starting to put, as you, as you rightly say, having the levels of governance and some disciplines in a business at its very early stage, as the person who's running it right in the weeds of the business, you never think you need it. You never spend time on it, and Mike made sure we did. And I think that's probably, you know, the single most important thing we did in the certainly four or five years yeah. ago. And at what stage did you start getting people like a finance director on board? You know, how do you get? Because obviously that's that's a key part of the governance process. Yeah, and sorry, I so yeah. kind of like Don't working worry. working back to where, yeah. where we were before. Yeah. But you know, one of the things that Rob did was introduce me to a gentleman by the name of Tiff Pike, who'd also been on a similar journey as the CFO of similar sized businesses, raising similar amounts of money. And it was great to have somebody, they didn't need to know all about my products, they didn't need to know all about the people working here. They just knew the processes that were required to drive an, uh, an, an investment journey, which inevitably we did. Well, I think there's probably two aspects to that. There's one, managing a business for growth. And then there's also preparing a business for investment. Yep. And I guess 
presumably quite a lot of the heavy lifting of that process was removed from your backs and fell on the finance director's back who was able to prepare the model the financials those kind of things yeah and i think you know you're absolutely right that that's a key part of putting together any pack um as part of your investment but i wouldn't underestimate the amount of work and the amount of time needed from the founders as part of one of these processes so again i think anybody getting involved and looking to raise money needs to go into it understanding it is going to take you away from the core business for significant amounts of the year yeah and from your experience of raising money yeah and you know conscious that there might be people listening to this who are you know thinking about raising money what are the key bits of advice would you give to somebody in that situation looking to raise money so really, uh, <laughs> really good question. So I think, first of all, it's important to be uh, working with advisors who really understand your business. You know, at the end of the day, they're going to be sitting on the table um, when you're you know, fighting your side of the corner and they need to know everything that you know. As, uh, obviously, they're not going to know everything, but they, they certainly need to be well-versed in what the business is all about and what, you're, and what you're striving for. So I think having a good partner is important. I think having a good chairman is, is really important and, and someone who's done it before. And then, as you highlighted, somebody who's absolutely on the numbers. And it's important, and it was said to me before, as, as the CEO of the business, you then have to know all of it. So there's no point saying, oh, the numbers are being taken care of by the CFO and the chairman's going to talk about the, you know, uh, how the business is set up and, and somebody else, you know, your, your e-commerce director talking about how you're driving traffic and what the visitor numbers are and what the conversion rates are. You need to make sure you know absolutely everything. You know, finding investment partners then, you know, when you, when you went through the process, what kind of drew you to where you ended up and what, you know, what sort of criteria were you looking for in an investment partner? So I met a lot of people during the process and as you know, we, we ended up with MVM. So I suppose one of the questions is why, why did we end up with um, the partner we did? Um, and the thing that I looked for most was somebody who actually understood our sector, believed in it um, and understood the growth. And not everyone got it. Not everyone gets our products, you know, home use beauty devices. You know, it doesn't matter how many times I go to a a dinner party or I'm out with people I've never seen before. People go, well, what are you selling? And then the next question is always, do they work? Which is just a typical English kind of, because actually they don't really want it to work. That's just the way we are. It's the way we're built. We don't want things to um, to be particularly successful. So finding a partner with with a real understanding of the beauty industry and the fact that actually these products really do work, they are helpful, and there's a future in them, plus understanding that there's always space for a specialist in any market so that was my criteria and I met lots of people who just didn't get it and then I got met some people who did and I I could tell very very early on in the conversations whether they were on board or not and 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 the funny thing is people always relate it to personal experiences so you know I met somebody who said oh I've looked on your website and there's my daughter suffers from terrible acne and you've got a product here for acne and it can't possibly work and that was his opening gambit in the uh, in the meeting. So, I, where do you yeah, go? Yeah, where, do, where do you go with that? You're, you're struggling. So, in terms of your your fundraising experience, and well, perhaps the one key learning point that came out for you from your perspective. Wow, it's a difficult one. Um, the one key learning is that you need to be patient. 
I suppose, and that's the same in all in all walks of life. But in this particular process, I think anyone who tells you that it's going to take a certain amount of time, then I'd probably double it. Raising the capital, then obviously you've very successfully raised raised capital. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how was that having having a third party sort of professional investor on board? Has has that in any way changed the, the way you run your business, look at your business? As kind of alluded to before, we'd already probably had some processes in place, you know, in terms of board meetings set up, in terms of our strategy, in terms of revisiting the strategy on a regular basis. We're already a little bit ahead of where most businesses of our size often are. And I think this was a really good thing about our our situation, that when we then went into the process with a new partner, with someone else on the board, nothing changed too much. And actually our partners that we've chosen in MVM you know, they'd already bought into what we were doing and they fitted fairly seamlessly into our processes. I think what we have to do a little bit more is probably on the reporting side, you know, as you well know, that suddenly becomes far more significant. So preparing board packs um, and making sure that um, they've got all the information they need. You know, when you're running a business at the same time, that can be, you just need to get into the habit of, um, of, of but working But it's, it's, it's not been an unduly burdensome process uh, from your point Absolutely of not. And um, actually felt that it's been really quite enjoyable and we feel like we've got the right partners on and, board. And, and do you feel that your partner brings value just beside money? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've got quite a, a young chap on our, on our board as well. So he's, you know, he's enthusiastic. He's, um, he's fitted in really well. It was important to me. We've got a really good boardroom, which is, is, is always uh, it's always lively. Um, it's for me a boardroom table is not just about delivering the results that you've done, although that's obviously you know part of what we do. It's actually the two hours that you get to really talk about the strategy and what, what you know the good things, the bad things, and getting some advice from people who are very much on the business and not in the business. Um, so it's about getting that value and. Um, uh, Liam, who sits on our board from MVM, is very much in that, and he, and, you know, he's got good ideas, and he's enthusiastic, and he understands our business, and he understands us. So, yeah. so far, it's been really positive. Yeah. In terms of the skill sets, yeah, that you look for from people on your board, yeah, yeah, you know, what are the things that you know, really add value to yeah. you? Well, if I look at our board, yeah, we've got Tiff, who's obviously absolutely on the numbers. Mm. We've got Simon Cooper from on the beach who's one of the most successful CEOs in the country and uh, his his e-commerce journey is second to none so probably saved us four or five years in terms of our strategic development in e-commerce we've got Mike who who chairs several businesses and uh, is involved in 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 these type of growth stories um, from a governance perspective Um, so you know even to the point where he makes sure that only one person's speaking around the table um, and then we've got our, you know, Andrew and myself have got very, you know, probably myself from a commercial side, Andrew on the, um, on the e-commerce side, uh, and, and then our partners at MVM. So the, uh, the only thing, uh, I would say is that we're, you know, actively looking to add some female presence to our board. So that's probably the only thing that's missing in terms yeah. of, um, in terms but, of schools. but I think, you know, what, what, what is very clear is that as part of the process of your development, you have brought on. And you've been able to persuade to bring on real expertise into your board. And that's clearly brought you an awful lot of value. Absolutely. It's probably the single yeah. most important thing we've done. I think people, when people do look at our board and when they looked at it, maybe pre-investment, um, you know, I think some people thought, oh, how, how have they managed to put that together, in, you know, for, for a business of this size? But it was always about, you know, 
not about current body now it's about where current body is going and that story clearly excited these people enough to get involved but and i think that that's 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 a really interesting point i think certainly for sort of maybe entrepreneurs who are listening to this that don't be afraid to try and bring on some big people if you can bring big people on they can add real value to what yeah, you're and i don't to think do. you say you talk about big people obviously experienced people um i just think that there's always a temptation to try and go alone because you want a bigger piece of the pie i think that can be the only reason why people don't get others involved doesn't always work um there's no, not always the right chemistry but the single most important part of our growth story has been Andrew and I surrounding ourselves with the right people at the high level. Going further than that, we now have a senior management team who are also engaged and bought into this business. So on two tiers, I feel like we're really well set for the future. So absolutely, that, that, that's one of my key learnings and key bits of advice for anybody doing something similar. You, you've talked about China. That, that's obviously a massive market. Why did you decide to target China? And, and secondly, you know, how, how have you gone about it? I think I mentioned that the market size for home use beauty devices is somewhere in the region of 2 billion or so. And I would say conservatively 40% of that is in Asia. So the fact that we needed to move over there in order to get a presence to, to have a small slice of that so it's obviously going to happen at some point. What we probably didn't realise is that you need to have feet on the ground there in order to do it. And the world of e-commerce in China is very, very different to, to what we're used to here. So we were approached, and I think, again, going back to the, you know, the taking private equity on board mm. and having the board set that they had probably did attract, to some extent, the JV that we've been able to set up with a company out there called Thakral. Um, and they essentially are distributors of products in our category, but not retailers. And they approached me about a year ago and said, look, you know, we'd really uh, be interested in talking to you about having a retail arm. And that was the initial conversation. It's taken us nearly nearly a year to put it together, but we now have a JV set up there and we will sit in China as an online specialist, obviously in the tip, on the typical platforms like Tmail, JD, uh, in beauty devices, which as it stands doesn't exist. Well, good, good luck with that. Thank I guess you. I guess it's very, very early days. Yep. In terms of one final question then, to entrepreneurs who are listening to this, from your experience, both as offline and an online e-commerce salesman, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give people? The one advice I always say to anyone, as a founder or someone looking to grow the business, and I suppose it's a, it's a little bit cliched, but resilience is the most important thing. You're going to go through incredible ups and downs um, over a period of time. And I think... Even when people look at my business, um, certainly the last couple of years, they've seen significant growth. But what they haven't seen is the eight years that went on before. And most people listening to this, if they've done anything similar, will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, this is not an overnight success story. This is 10 years of hard graft. With, um, um, and without resilience, the, you, you're never going to make it work. So that's the one, one piece of advice is you just got to stick with it, work hard and surround yourself with the right people. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed, Lawrence Newman. Best of luck with the future of Current Body. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic success. And we look forward to seeing it and hearing all about it in the future. Many thanks indeed. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. I'm Nick Horrocks from X.0 Advisory. Make sure you subscribe for the latest episode of My Digital Journey.